0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. How cool is that? Thank you, Everett. Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Good morning. Hey, if you're new with us here today, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. We're so uh, excited that you have joined us here today. See several new faces and several faces that have come back for the first time in a year. Thank God for the vaccine that's working. We're beating this pandemic one week at a time. Amen. Amen. So on the quest to normalcy. And I'm really grateful for Everett and the cross that he just did there. Everett's one of my favorite people on the planet. He serves a lot with our tech team and our production team and obviously with amazing craftsmanship skills. One of my favorite t-shirts that Everett has is kind of a paper rock scissors shirt. You guys ever play paper rock scissors? Like are we getting, are we getting pepperoni pizza or Hawaiian pizza tonight? Let's paper rock scissors because we know Jesus hates Hawaiian pizza. So no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So Everett has this shirt that goes that goes paper rock scissor table saw. <laughs> you get it. He's <laughs> missing. You got it. You got it. So I just love. I love Everett. I love him. And so, uh, hey, before we jump into stuff here, isn't it good to have Keith back here at the East Campus? Great to be with you again here, buddy. You know, they broke up the band when you had to go and get promoted or whatever, so... We're glad that you're here, uh, here at the East Campus. Hey, so as the video just said, Easter is coming up next week. We're super pumped about it here at the East Campus. The service, again, it's going to be at 10 o'clock in English, just like normal, just like it is right now. Make sure you invite a friend and, uh, we're going to have a fantastic service. And we're also, if you're not comfortable with an increased volume of people yet, you know, some of the social distancing stuff might be a little bit of a challenge next week. We encourage you, hey, watch online or hey, Come in person and watch online. What we have made online for you, it's not a regular broadcast of what happens at our broadcast location. It is a separate experience. We raised money for it at the end of last year. We filmed this with tons of our brand new equipment. It is the coolest, most creative thing we've done yet. And the few, the best is yet to come for Community of Hope. But let me tell you this here, what we made. We're really, really pumped about. It. So we encourage you to check that out, invite a friend, and would you share about it on social media? Would you do that? Yes. Great, awesome. So we're going to see you next week for that. And hey, uh, one last thing: if you were in the uh, here for the announcements, about like seventy-five percent of you came after they were done, but. So uh, we have something called 24-7 Prayer Week that started actually at uh, midnight last night. And what we're doing, we're trying to cover our church in a whole week of unbroken, continuous prayer, night and day and hour slots. So You can do it virtually from your own home. You don't need to go anywhere for it. We still have some open slots. And I would just love to ask and challenge each and every single person who calls Community of Hope their home church to sign up for one one-hour slot to pray and cover our church in prayer For specifically for Easter. We're not praying for prayer's sake. We're praying for what God might do through our church and reach people who are far from him this Easter season. Amen? Amen. Great. Okay. So here's what we're going to be doing today. That being said, we're jumping into our series we've been discussing for the past several weeks, and we're going to be concluding it today, and we've been calling this Descending Into Greatness. And what we've been talking about is this one piece of scripture in one of the Apostle Paul's letter to a church uh, in the region of Philippi. And this little passage of scripture, which is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, we've been talking about for the past several weeks, that this changed all of Western civilization. The reason that you and I admire people who are humble and who serve others, and we are disgusted by people who are egomaniacs, is because of this passage of scripture. It's not a religious thing. It's not even necessarily a Christian thing. What it did in and of itself is it inserted itself into the Roman world and into Western civilization. It changed culture, whether you are a Jesus follower or not. This passage has impacted you, whether you've even read it before or not. And each week we've been talking about what does it say? What does it teach us about who Jesus is? and how he lived his life, and how we're supposed to imitate his mindset, and what that does in our world and in our relationships. So one last time, we're going to read this, and I want you to follow along here with me. So I've talked a couple weeks ago, I think it was here at the East Campus, a lot of people think the shape of Christianity, and rightly so, is a cross, just like what Everett made. But what we know from this passage here, that another symbol of Christianity isn't necessarily a cross, But it's actually a V. Could also be the shape of the message of the followers of Jesus. Watch here with me as I illustrate this. So it says here, verse 5, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Pastor Dale talked about this last week, that the lowest place in the entire world when Jesus lived was to die by crucifixion on a Roman cross. But that's not the end of the story. He goes on from there. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If I could put my hand through the ceiling, I would for how this exalts Jesus. This is the shape of what we're talking about. Really, what Paul is saying to us is that down is the new up if you want to be great, don't lift yourself up, but rather lower yourself in humility and service of others. Now, Pastor Dale last week showed us in 2.8, here's our verse. We're going to put it on the screen. Let's read this out loud all together. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This Little sentence right there, and especially those last five words, even death on a cross, is so potent that we're having to spend two weeks on this. So, last week, if we you're here, Pastor Dale shared with us about the significance of Jesus's cross. But remember, if you've been with us for any weeks in this series, it's not just about him, it's about you, it's about me. The whole passage starts with in your relationships have the same mindset as Jesus. So what does that mean for you and for me? Because there's two crosses we're talking about today. So we're going to skip to another passage of Scripture, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time here this morning. If you haven't opened up your app yet, you're going to open up your sermon notes or your Bible app or your Bible that you brought. Um, if you're under the age of 25, this is a book and this is how you open it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm the digital guy here at church. I'm poking at my own people. I'm poking at my own people. Anyway, uh, let's so go, to, or excuse me, go to Matthew chapter 16. Oh my gosh, don't hate me. I'm so sorry. Uh, Matthew 16 verses 21 through 28. And this is the passage that we think is a perfect jumping-off point to help us understand the full implications of Philippians 2, verse 8. All right, so Matthew 16, 21, it says this here. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Ouch. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but mere human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and that he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, so in this final message for the series, we started with talking about why, and then who, and then what, and how, and last week it was where, and today, our last one, we're saying whose. Whose is the title of today's message. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us in this room. I thank you you are not just some historical figure or like other people on the pages of history who lived and who have died and that's the end of the story. But you are alive. And your your spirit and your presence is here working in this room. And Lord, I believe with all my heart that you came here today and you called us here today. No one's here on accident, but you called us all here today um, to feed hungry souls, to give us all bread from heaven and to drink living water today. We're not here to play church or to do religious games, but God, my greatest desire is that all of us, including me, would have an encounter with you and your Holy Spirit. So would you cause now your spirit to move and to open all of our eyes and all of our hearts to the power of your written word. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We're open. We want to hear from you. Feed our hungry souls. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about this passage here just for a second before we really start diving in. So what we just read in Matthew 16 is the very first time in the book of Matthew where Jesus is declaring to his followers his intention to go to Jerusalem and to die and to be crucified. In fact, today uh, is traditionally in the church rhythm of the year, the church calendar. It's called Palm Sunday. Keith has already alluded to that. And what's happening here in Matthew, even though it's not a Palm Sunday passage, we picked it deliberately in light of Palm Sunday. Because if you notice in verse 21, 21-22 around there, when he says he's going to go to Jerusalem, That's the day of Palm Sunday. So if you're new to the Bible, maybe new to church, or maybe it's been first time in a long time, Palm Sunday is, um, I got these from my own backyard. How about that? Uh, Somebody's like, somebody better tell the church landscaper, Trevor messed stuff up. No, from my own backyard. So um, what happened on Palm Sunday was Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And what happened then was it was an ancient symbol of expression uh where people some people had heard about his miracles and the wonderful teachings he had done and how he'd raised the people from the dead and they saw him as their coming king and so what they did they threw their cloaks on the ground and then they took palm branches and they waved them and they said what's the word yeah. Hosannum! do you want to hear a really cruel joke one time so when I was uh, doing campus ministry at Florida State, because we all know Florida State needs a lot of Jesus and a whole lot of football too, but we need, we need a whole lot of Jesus at Florida State. And there, we had so many students who had never gone to church before, and somebody played a joke on one of our students who had never gone to church before. He was like, what's a Hosanna? Hosanna? They said, a Hosanna is a large hat. <laughs> like, that's not what that means. Isn't that mean-spirited? Hosanna is a term um, that ancient Israelites used to say, um, you know, praise the Lord. And they would just rejoice. It was a term to where they would say, um, Hosanna meant save us, excuse me. That's what it meant. So they would wave these things. They're saying, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what they would do was they would take these branches. And we're going to pretend that this is the road to Jerusalem. And they would lay them on the ground along with their cloaks and their, their garments. They would lay them on the road where Jesus was entering and riding on a donkey. Fulfilling a prophetic scripture about when a new king enters into Jerusalem he rides on the back of a donkey. And so they would throw all these down as a sign of the coming king. But what was interesting is they were throwing these down is they didn't understand the type of king that Jesus was coming to be. See, they thought, here comes the king. Here comes the king. He's gonna overthrow Rome. He's gonna be, I'm gonna step on a couple of toes, he's gonna be our political leader. Who's gonna oh <laughs> he's gonna be our political leader, who's gonna save us, and he's gonna overthrow the current regime, and he's gonna save Israel, and he's gonna do all these things that we want. Specifically, they're gonna have political ramifications. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And one sense Jesus received their worship and another, he was saddened by it. because clearly oh, it looks like I forgot a couple. Clearly, what they thought Jesus had come to do entering to Jerusalem, was that He came to ascend into greatness, that he was going to overthrow people in power, He was going to claim the throne, and he was going to rule. But instead, just a few days later, this was his throne. It shocked everybody, confounded everyone. It's totally different than everything they thought he was going to do. Remember, it's not an ascent into greatness, it's a what? It's a descent. Into greatness. Now here's what's interesting about this passage. Uh, particularly, yeah, right there. They leave it there. Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests of the law, and scribes, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Wow, so he's talking about his own crucifixion, his own death that he's going to suffer. You guys can take that off the screen. And then later on he tells them, and if you want to be my follower, if you want to follow me and say, Hosanna, you have to take up your cross too. That's why we're calling this whose, because whose cross are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about my cross and your cross. Now, this is an interesting thing that Jesus does here because this is clearly not a way to gain Instagram followers. If you want to follow me, you got to die. Yeah, that's the worst sales pitch ever, Jesus. It's like Jesus hadn't like, um, it's like he got a rash every time he got popular. He's like, man, we got to thin these, we got to thin this crowd out a little bit. And he would tell them these difficult and hard things. And so what we're talking about today is what does it even mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? What an interesting thing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Well, um, I think sometimes when people think about this idea of taking up your cross, it's become this like lame idiom that we have in our culture today. Like, it's just my cross to bear. I just love dark chocolate. It's my cross to bear. I mean, right? 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 Okay, or, my, you know, uh, like I have a wonderful mother in law, so I'm not making any statement here. My wife is off celebrating her 70th birthday. Isn't that a cool thing? Yeah, it's great. But like some people are like, my mother in law is the worst. She's just my cross to bear. I mean, like this is not what Jesus meant. Like, is it good to be sacrificial and long suffering and patient with difficult people? It totally is. But that is not what Jesus meant, okay? What Jesus, meant, he's talking about take up your cross. He's literally talking about somebody who carries the cross beam that Everett was making through a crowd who is mocking you and jeering you and spitting at you on the way to go be crucified. What? Jesus wants me to do what? And so if you're new to church or it's been the first time in a long time since you've been to church and this does not sound attractive to you, you have kind of correctly interpreted that. I don't blame you for experiencing that. Now, we're going to get to why you would want to do this, why anybody would want to do this, and why this would be the best decision you have ever made in your entire life. We're going to get there. But I don't blame you if your initial reaction is a little bit of disgust. Now, when Jesus said this, he doesn't always mean literally, everyone who follows me will die by crucifixion. That's not what he meant, literally. Now, even though many have died for Jesus... And many still do in our world today die for Jesus. And many still will. What he meant was metaphorical at first. Now what does it mean to take up your cross in a symbolic metaphorical sense? We're going to put it here on the screen. This is my definition. I kind of best came up with what does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? What he's getting at is this. It means denying our self-will. Like what we want in life. It's denying self-will to follow God's will At all costs, even if it means suffering. So if you've heard people say that I'm making Jesus my Lord and my Savior, Savior means he saves me from sin, but Lord means leader. Like if I'm going to follow Jesus as my leader, that means I'm going to say no to my will, and I'm going to say yes to God's will and God's commands at all costs, even if it means suffering. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, no matter what the cost. Even if it means I suffer from this. An interesting thought here. Pastor Dale and I were talking about this when we were thinking about the sermon this week. You ever heard this quote we're going to put here on the screen? This is a great thing. Like, It's great for online sharing and emails and whatever else. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. You guys ever heard that? Isn't that a good phrase? It's really great except for it's not in the Bible. I mean, if you ask Jesus this, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Jesus will look at us and go, that's like a great Hallmark card, but it ain't true. Let me illustrate here. Um, I heard a funny thing a couple weeks ago about different names of groups of animals. Okay, like I heard a couple weeks ago, do you know what you call a group of baboons? A congress. <laughs> now, 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 that's not true. I did research, and that's not true. But I want to show you some ones that are true, okay? So uh, here's a group of bees. Do you know what I call a group of bees? A swarm, a swarm. So half my family went to Georgia Tech, or uh, all of Leah's, Leah's sisters. So, you know, I'm fully aware of those. So the bees, it's a swarm. Here's a group of lions. What do you call a group of lions? Right, excellent, good job. Here's a group of flamingos. Do you know what you call a group of flamingos? Not plastic. Did any of you have plastic flamingos in your yard? My mom and dad are here. My dad still loves plastic flamingos. He's real classy. So, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Okay, so a fl- group of flamingos is called a flamboyant. Yeah, really. Isn't that interesting? All right, um, here's a group of buzzards. Oh, do you know what you call a group of buzzards? A committee. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's another one. Here's a group of owls. Do you know what you call a group of owls? they call a group of owls a parliament. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'm saying, here's the last one. Um, here's a group of rhinos. Do you know what a group of rhinos is called? Yes, they're called a crash. Good job. You must be a teacher, maybe. I can't see who said that. They're called a crash. Do you know why rhinos are called a crash? Well, I've mean, people like, yes, stupid. We know why they're called a crash. They're called a crash because they just run, obviously, and charge at anything. But did you know rhinos charge at anything? All right. Let me check. Let me, let me, let me step back a little bit. What's fascinating about rhinos, we all know they crash and run to things. What's fascinating about rhinos is they can only see 30 feet in front of them. 30 feet. That's it. And yet they run with reckless abandon. It's because rhinos as a species have no fear. Rhinos have no fear at all. That's why they run and they charge even though they can't see. Why am I talking to you about this today? Because the first several generations and the first several centuries of the first followers of Jesus were like a crash of rhinos. They had no fear. If you look in the... Early pages of the the first eyewitnesses and the first generation of followers of Jesus and the scriptures that we can read about in antiquity in the first century, what we learn about them was they didn't pray prayers like, Dear God, I pray. Now, these aren't necessarily bad things, so I'm not throwing shade on them. They didn't pray, God, please, I pray for safety and protection. We don't have that recorded in the New Testament. Do you know what they did pray for? Lord, stretch out your hand so that we may be bold in declaring your name they were willing to suffer loss they were willing to serve sacrificially they were even willing to be sacrificial with their own lives because they bought what jesus said that if you want to follow me you have to take up your cross they believed everything jesus said about if you want to find your life you have to lose it And surely they weren't marching towards death. They weren't cavalier with their lives. They weren't unwise. They weren't foolish. But they were unafraid. In fact, it's been said uh, throughout the centuries that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And it's through their suffering, their following God at any cost, even if it meant suffering. It was that attitude that caused Christianity to be a little sect of 120 people in Jerusalem, and within just a couple hundred years, all of a sudden had swept the entire known Western world. That's the explanation for it all. Now what's interesting about all this is that when I look at these scriptures and Pastor Dale looks at these scriptures and we look at these first followers of Jesus that were just fearless, we look at them and their attitude about suffering and about sacrifice and about following God because it's not just about suffering. If you focus on suffering, you're going to be a weird person and life is not going to be a lot of fun. It's about following God no matter what the cost, even if it leads to suffering. These people who focused on that, man, we're so inspired by that. But when we look at the church today, specifically in America and even in our own lives, you know what we see? We see hashtag blessed. I'm blessed. I'm living my best life now on a t shirt, hashtag bedazzled, hashtag blessed life no one wants to see me in anything bedazzled i totally understand that but so many people who follow jesus think that is the essence of following jesus today we think it's i'm going to live my best life now we think it's a form of uh, it's a form of christianity that has a lot of good truth in it, but it goes wrong in this way that we call prosperity gospel when it teaches that God wants to make me wealthy, healthy, and wise. Now, is it true that God heals people? And is it true that God blesses people? And is it true that God makes people wise? Of course it is. All this true, but any truth taken too far becomes toxic. And all of a sudden, the goal of Christianity is about God doing things in my life. It's about me instead of about him. Now, you might not be on the healthy, wealthy, wise train, but a less in-your-face version of this is God's going to fulfill every one of my dreams. And an even less in-your-face version of this is God's going to keep me safe and comfortable. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody today. That's me too. Uh, my mom, she's here today, will tell you that when I was a kid, when I went to go through a temper tantrum as a child, I was really upset. I would look around, and then I would walk to where the carpet was, and that's where I would throw myself down and have a temper tantrum. <laughs> okay, so like, so like me too, right? Okay, so like fellow strugglers all here in the room, uh, th- this is just like our Western American mindset, and it, and, it, and it affects our faith in Jesus. We're all susceptible to it. And we have to be careful because sometimes what it means to follow Jesus is that Jesus will call us sometimes to follow him and do hard things like be sacrificial in a way that makes us uncomfortable, like stand for things that might not be socially acceptable, like lay down my life that might be uncomfortable for my own preferences for the sake of someone else. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things that aren't safe, that aren't comfortable, but we should follow him because he calls us to obey him and love him no matter the cost. This is exactly why Jesus was mad at Peter. Can we go put up 16.23 on the screen? So Jesus got mad at Peter, which doesn't make you feel good that your Lord and Savior sometimes got mad at people too. Yeah. So Jesus got mad at Peter. He turned and said to Peter, "'Get behind me, Satan.'" It is a bad day at the office when Jesus calls you the devil. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. If you go to this passage, whether on your phone or in your paper Bible, and just go like five verses earlier in the same conversation... Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that conversation, Jesus goes, and now, Peter, I will call you Dwayne Johnson. I mean, I will call you the rock. And I will call you on the rock because on this rock, his confession, on that confession, I will build my church. Peter just made Hall of Fame status. Moments later, he's the devil. Wild, isn't it? Why did Jesus get so mad and so offended here? Because when Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. But instead of taking the throne, I'm going to get on a cross. And Peter goes, you can't do that. That's not the narrative. That's not the story. That's not how this is supposed to go, Jesus. You will never do that. And Jesus had in mind everything the cross accomplishes. Because of the cross, there's forgiveness of sin. There's atonement for your sin, to be washed clean and free of all of our guilt and all of our shame. It's opening a way for heaven for us when we die. It means the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So much is accomplished on the cross. And Peter got in the way of that because it's no Jesus, that's not you taking the throne. And what Peter was doing in that moment was unintentionally agreeing with the devil, who tempted Jesus in the desert in Matthew 4 just several chapters earlier. And ultimately, the devil was saying to Jesus the same thing that Peter was saying to Jesus and the same thing that the enemy and the world and our own fallen hearts tell us that you can have a kingdom without a cross. This is why Jesus said, Peter, you got it completely backwards. It's not about ascending into greatness. My kingdom is of another world. So let me ask you this. Um, pastor Dale told me this week that in this church here, many, many of you know this, many of you might not know this, this is the church where Pastor Dale really found his faith, got called to be a follower of Jesus, got called to be a pastor. And it was in this church and his youth minister here at, uh, was formerly good shepherd, told him one day, and he said, Dale, if you were on trial for the crime of being a follower of Jesus, Would there be enough evidence to convict you? If this is true of the way of Jesus, that we must follow God at all costs, even if it means suffering, not we follow God because he makes us comfortable, but we follow God no matter the cost. Is there enough evidence that would convict you as a follower of Jesus? Look at this, G.K. Chesterton said this, Christianity is not tried and been found wanting, it's found difficult and left untried. Wow. Here's one of the things I wanna leave you here today before I'm gonna show you just this last message from the passage. Hear me today. If following Jesus is costing you nothing, then your faith might be worth nothing. And it might not even be the Christian faith. If this isn't costing you anything, it might not be the faith of Jesus. And we should all reconsider how we're following him. So here's what this passage is saying. Peter and the world and ourselves and our culture all says this, the world says this here. Go ahead and skip that scripture, guys. Just go to this point. The world says this. Elevate yourself. Defend yourself. Satisfy yourself. Promote yourself. Take the throne. But Jesus says, no, deny yourself. This is the way of Jesus. Deny yourself. Follow the Father's will at all costs. Now, there's no incentive to do this. It just, like, great, suffer for Jesus, awesome. I'm inspired. But here's the thing that Jesus says. There's a promise in the scripture. Did you see it? And here's the promise that if you learn to not elevate yourself, but to deny yourself and follow Jesus, you know what will happen? You will find yourself. Uh, My... I'm going to tell a story and then we're going to close here. Uh, my very first day in seminary, at Asbury Theological Seminary, I went to New Student Orientation. And we went into the chapel uh, there at the campus in Kentucky. It's, it's just a sacred, holy place. And the dean of the chapel spoke to us, about 150 of us here in the room, just like how I'm speaking to you right now. And he said, welcome, everybody. I'm not not sure if you've heard it been said before, but sometimes, slow down. Sometimes I've heard it said before that seminary is called cemetery. Now this is true because there's some people who actually go and pay to get a master's degree from a seminary, and they actually lose their faith in Jesus. I have many friends who have a Master of Divinity degree and are no longer following Jesus Christ. Would you pray for them? Would you do that? Just unspoken names, would you do that? Um, not from where I went, but from other places. And he said, "I, you know, seminary is cemetery. And obviously here at Asbury Seminary, we don't aspire to any of that at all. We're the, we're the people of the warm heart. You're gonna leave here knowing the scriptures, and you're gonna leave here filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing how to hear the voice of God. And that is true, amen. He said, but here's the deal. I hope that it does become a cemetery for you. And he said, I want everybody to stand up. Don't actually stand up. He told us, everyone stand up, follow me. We're two minutes into orientation. He walks down the center aisle and we all follow him, 150 of us. We go down several blocks in that little town of Wilmore, Kentucky and he takes us to a literal cemetery. And on the cemetery, he has a stool. And we're all surrounded by all these old gravestones, surrounded by symbols of death. And he stood on a stool. He said this, I have 20 words from Jesus Christ for you. And he quoted to us Matthew 16, 25. And these words here, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. and he told us that day I hope that while you're here this does become a cemetery for you that you learn to die to yourself that you learn to deny yourself that you learn to whatever cost it is to lay down your preference, your life, your hopes your dreams and lay lay, lay them down at the presence of Jesus because when you learn to do that that is the secret of living and so for every person I'd like to invite the band to come on up And so for every person here, I want you to know that if you came here looking for life, if you came here looking for hope, if you came here looking for a new way to live, if you came here empty on the inside looking for anything, Jesus is offering to you every of your heart's desires and what you long for at the deepest center of your core, life and joy and peace And Jesus is here to offer it to you today and the way to find it. And it's not the way of take the throne. It's the way of lowering yourself and of descent and an invitation to descend into greatness with him. Would you do it? Would you forsake the ways of the world and reconsider God's invitation to follow him no matter the cost? It's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. Yes. A million times over, there is a cost, but the reward is a hundred times it. It's worth it if you'll follow him. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, we worship you now, the one who left it all, who obeyed the Father whatever the cost, even if it meant suffering and the greatest sacrifice. Because of your sacrifice, we worship you. Because of your sacrifice, you're seated next to the Father right now, exalted over all creation. We love you. We worship you. Lord, help us to turn from the world's ways, but to follow your way of lowliness, of humility, of service, of sacrifice, and of denial of ourselves so that we may find the life that is truly life. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship this Jesus. Amen. Now, friends, if you need prayer for anything, we have prayer team back here, prayer team wave. So if you need prayer for anything, go pray, go get prayer, go for whatever you have going on in life. But otherwise, would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? Now, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next week for Easter. Have a great day.